Coming up next, it's Let's Talk Vets, so stay tuned for that here on Radio Catskill. And remember, we're looking for your support. We need your support. Give what you can during our fall fun drive at WJFFradio.org. Support comes from the Women's Health Center in Honesdale, Hamlin, Waymart, Carbondale, and Lords Valley in Pennsylvania. Physicians and certified midwives who deliver. The Women's Health Center is a Wayne Memorial Community Health Center. WMH.org. Support for WJFF Radio Catskill comes from the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York. RiverReporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFradio.org. Well, good evening. Thanks for stopping by. The program is, of course, Let's Talk Vets. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Our mission is to provide news, entertainment, and information of particular interest to area veterans, active service members, and their families. Tonight, we're going to hear from Ann Milligan. She oversees VA's Caregiver Support Program. Then we'll chat with a number of veterans about their experiences in the military how they cope with the issues plaguing many vets and where they are today. Then we'll hear from Dawn Shaw, Director of VA Hudson Valley Healthcare System, with this month's edition of The VA Today. Now, as you may have heard, we're in the midst of our quiet fall fund drive, and at times it may seem that Radio Catskill is always in need of your support. And that's primarily because, well, we are. <laughs> Here's some things to consider. This radio station has served Sullivan, Pike, Wayne, and parts of other counties for over 30 years without interruption. We bring you a diverse array of content, whether it's the global perspective from NPR, Pacifica, or other syndicated national sources, or the many programs like this one, which are unique to WJFF's airwaves. Now, it might be the weather updates or school closings. Let's not forget our enhanced interviews and features highlighting local groups and agencies. Now, commercial stations average 22 minutes of commercial content for every hour of programming. Here at Radio Catskill, you get 58 minutes of uninterrupted content every hour. The majority of folks who make Radio Catskill function are volunteers like me. Why? Because we love what we do and we love this community. Now, whatever happens, we'll tell you about it. WJFF Radio Catskill will be here for you as long as you're here for us. Make your contribution now in any amount at WJFFradio.org. What is a caregiver? In the world of the VA, a caregiver can be anyone who lends assistance to a vet. Helping care for anyone is an awesome responsibility. And sometimes it may seem like you're all alone. Well, the VA wants you to know that you're not and tell you about some of the many programs and services available to help those who help our vets. Welcome to Let's Talk Vets, Ann and Cullen, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yes, indeed. You know, when most people think about the VA, I think we tend to think about traditional inpatient and outpatient services delivered in the context of brick-and-mortar medical facilities or clinics. And it's clear that the VA has recognized the importance of veterans' outreach programs and services that extend to all aspects of veterans' well-being and enhance accessibility. Now, Ann, your team recently gave a virtual presentation to the veteran support community. Slide 1 expressed your outreach effort as wraparound services. I think that's a great name. So if you would be so kind as to run down what those services are 
and why they're important. Okay, well, thank you again, Doug, for uh, for having us today. The program that I work with at the VA is uh, a caregiver support program. So what we focus on is the veterans' families. And I always tell the families that all the rest of the programs in the VA are for their veteran, but this is the one program that, that brings them into the conversation and looks at what are their needs and how can we help support them because they're the ones that are looking after their veterans. So when we look at wraparound support services, we're not only talking about the veteran, but we're talking about uh, their family members as well. So for many veterans, uh, neighbors, friends, and family are very important. They may see a vet every day. They may live with a vet or just take them to appointments, shop for them, or simply stop in to check and chat. These people are all caregivers, correct? I'm really glad you brought that up, Doug, because sometimes that word caregiver can be a little misleading and people might think, oh, gee, I'm not caring for a veteran because their veteran isn't maybe in in a bed or in a wheelchair, but they're absolutely helping that veteran function every day. They might be family members more more than likely, but some may be neighbors or friends that come in. And uh, you're absolutely right. All those things that you mentioned, just stopping by to check in, are all forms of caregiving. So we want to recognize and support uh, these people that are stepping up to look after their veterans. And the veterans uh, that we're talking about could be of any age or any era. People in our program range in age from, you know, being in their 20s up through their 90s and even beyond if they are fortunate to live that long. But anyway, we try to provide services that are going to help those caregivers to be able to provide the care and support for their veteran loved ones. So we have two parts to that program. And one of the parts is that we have a lot of supportive and educational services for the families or their loved ones. We have support groups. We have a lot of uh, workshops and various different programs that we can connect them with, either through the VA or sometimes through their local community. So all of them are designed to help that loved one be able to get the support that they need and also, in many cases, get the information that they need to uh, be a better support to their veteran. So talking about the wraparound services, we have another part of the program which is undergoing a major change actually starting this month, and that has to do with providing a monthly stipend for some of those caregivers if they meet certain eligibility requirements. Okay. The um, VA has obviously recognized the caregiver as a key to the veteran healing, and you've developed a suite of services and workshops, which you mentioned for caregivers. Let's uh, run down that uh, some of the major ones and how they help caregivers, understanding that caregivers could be anybody of any education level or any discipline, and they do need help and guidance from time to time. So run down that suite of workshops and services that you guys provide to help. One of the important things that we to help their veteran uh, make appointments or get services that they need and they don't really know who to go to or how to go about it or they may feel like they're running into roadblocks or perhaps even for services that are outside of the VA. So that's one of the key things that we can do in our program is help connect them with those services and explain how things work and uh, try to help them understand maybe some of the terminology and break it down so that the VA can be more user-friendly for them as well as for the veterans, and that way they can help their uh, their veteran uh, get the care that he or she needs too. Along with that, we uh, have a number of ways to provide supports. One of the most appreciated, I would say, would be support groups that we do where right now we're doing everything virtually either through video or through the phone. And, uh, you know, prior to pandemic times, we were meeting in person. But these connections where the caregivers can connect with one another seem to be one of the most powerful, helpful, healing, and informative opportunities for them to kind of get the idea that, hey, I'm not alone. I'm, you know, I have other people that can support me and kind of give me ideas and give me feedback. And just to know that there's somewhere that I can tell my story to people who we do have speakers right now doing virtual presentations on things like uh, the Alzheimer's Association, on even things like aromatherapy or the different therapies, whole health, some of the things that you know, are available to their veterans, but also to help them learn to take care of themselves. 
let's talk about how the VA is leveraging technology to enhance these outreach programs. So I think a perfect example is what Ann has been doing. She held a caregiver summit where she talked about the changes that are coming to her program. Um, she's doing these outreach groups virtually, and we're doing a lot to get out to the veterans in any way that we can, and especially during this time, leveraging technology is especially important. Some of the other things we're doing is we're having virtual meetings with the Director's Veteran Advisory Committee, which consists of a bunch of different leaders of community organizations and local stakeholders, and it's a way for us to gather information from them, but also to get information from them. So when they do get a, in contact with a veteran, they can navigate them through some of the changes that we've made recently. We also have a, a Facebook and a Twitter where we're putting up information daily. We have a program called Gov Delivery, which allows us to email veterans. So we're really trying to encourage veterans, if they don't already have an email on file with us, to just give us a call and get an email on file so that we can e email you important information and updates. Okay, thank you. So the uh, Hudson Valley VA healthcare system employs patient advocates. Who are they and why are they important? Our patient advocates are our experts at navigating the VA. They help veterans and their caregivers resolve important issues by working directly with all of our departments. They'll address your questions, your problems. If you have any special needs, you can call them. And they're basically a quick way to navigate the VA, get answers to your questions, and help out with any problems or issues that you have. During this time, they're especially important because there has been a lot of changes at VA Hudson Valley. There are experts at directly working with all of our departments to address their problems or issues and helping with any special needs they have. So if, if any veteran has a problem navigating the VA, especially with all the changes we've made lately, we really encourage them to give one of our patient advocates a call and we'll help you get the answer to your question quicker and help you get the care that you need. Okay, so there's a caregiver support line and website. Where are they and what will we find there? The caregiver website is www.caregiver.va.gov. Okay. And it's an excellent source of information about all the supportive services as well as changes that are going on in the program this month that are going into effect. So you mentioned about the support line, and the support line, this is a national support line, is 1-855-260-3274, and that's uh, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday. And to contact us directly at the Hudson Valley VA for the caregiver program, you can call 845 831-2000, and our extension is 5553. Okay, thank you, Ann and Cullen, for joining us on Let's Talk Bets on Radio Catskill, WJFF. Ann also wanted us to know about the Caregiver Support Program expansion of eligibility for the stipend program, which went into effect October 1st. Veterans with a 70% service-connected disability who served in the Vietnam era that's on or before May 7, 1975, and earlier eras may apply. Supportive and educational programs are available to caregivers to veterans of all eras. Interested veterans and family members can contact the National Caregiver Support Program at 855-260-3274 or the Hudson Valley VA Program at 845-831-2000 extension 5553. Sergeant First Class James Strasser recently retired after 29 years in the U.S. Army and multiple deployments to Iraq, Bosnia, and Kuwait. Jim shares with us tonight his thoughts about his service, his message to others and young people, and some thoughts about veteran suicide. So welcome to Let's Talk Vets. Sergeant First Class James Strasser U.S. Army retired. Hi, how are you? 
Uh, I'm wonderful. I hope you're the same. I'm going to ask you first, what made you decide to enlist? I guess it was 1983, correct? Correct. Well, when I uh, graduated high school, I joined the uh, Merchant Marines on uh, cargo vessels. And after my first uh, tour with that, the uh, industry was kind of hit rock bottom, and I couldn't get a job. So I uh, decided to join the Army. Okay. What was your primary MOS when you enlisted? When I enlisted, I was a uh, truck driver. Okay. You served a total of 29 years, so you were a career man in the U.S. Army. Correct. And you had um, a number of deployments in different places, Iraq, Bosnia, and Kuwait, correct? Correct. All right, so take us through your career and uh, those deployments. Okay, I was. Uh, I spent eight years with the 82nd Airborne Division from 83 to 1990. Then I had a, uh, a nine-and-a-half-year break, and I joined the Army, Pennsylvania Army National Guard in 1999. And uh, 2002, we were deployed to Bosnia-Herzegovina, which was a former Yugoslavia, from 2002 to 2003. And our primary function there was uh, finding weapons caches and uh, mass graves. Then uh, we came back in uh, June of 2003. I went to... Uh, Florida for a year, and then uh, found out the 109th was being uh, deployed to Iraq. I came back to Pennsylvania, and we went to uh, Al-Ambar province, uh, Al-Assad Air Base in Ramadi from 2004 to 2006. And then in 2012, we deployed to uh, Kuwait in Operation uh, Enduring Freedom. How were those deployments different in terms of what you experienced, what your job was, and how did you change along your journey? Um, in Bosnia, it was uh, kind of unique because during the, uh, the Bosnia War, you had all, all your civilians had all kinds of weaponry, such as grenades and AK-47s, and you had kids age 8, 9, 10 that were handing you live grenades, and it was, it was like a baseball to them. And that was kind of, uh, it was surreal because they, they knew what the hand grenade could do, but it really didn't phase them because of what they went through. In Iraq, it was different because uh, we always ran at night and we, we never saw the enemy. And, you know, we were, found a lot of IEDs, and, uh, but we also hit a lot of IEDs. And Kuwait was basically, uh, we were there for st stabilization. It was hard because we didn't have a job, but had a job at that. But we got a lot of a lot of training done, a lot of live fire exercises when we were in Kuwait. How did the um, reality of service square with your expectations, and how did that change along the way? Basically, they weren't that bad as far as expectations. You knew because uh, when I was in the guard, I was a an infantryman. You basically lived out of your rucksack. So really, if we had more than that, it was uh, it was like being in the Taj Mahal. Okay, so uh, you recently retired, right, within the year or so? Yes, sir, May 8th. How did you find your transition from active military to civilian life? Um, it's a little difficult because, you know, I was a full-time uh, military. You had a routine. You had a scheduled regime, what you did every day, and now I find myself trying to find things to do and that uh, that's the hardest part trying to get a pattern down where you feel like you fit in okay so is there anything you miss about the military or anything you don't miss about it i i miss the uh camaraderie we have with the uh the soldiers what i don't miss is uh the bureaucracy i don't want to get political but the eight years of the previous president we had no funding to send people to school and now we have the funding, and we're, a lot of people are getting the schoolings that they should have had done three and four years ago. Well, listen, uh, since you retired, or maybe before you retired, you're active with some organizations. I want to ask you about each one of them. I'm a part of Combat Vets Motorcycle Association, and uh, a good friend of mine, Tom Ryan, uh, started up uh, VetStock. Okay, let's talk about Vetstock because uh, I've been trying to get somebody to talk to me about Vetstock for a, n a number of years. 
it's uh, basically a nonprofit that uh, coincides with what CVMA, CVMA does is vets helping vets. Everything we raise is goes to to help, to help the vet. How many members in vet stock? It's over in uh, Pike County, right? Yes. Uh, basically, they, I think they've got four or five that are part of the board, and a lot of the CVMA people are uh, also part of that, that help uh, volunteer and help them. Folds of Honor, are you associated with them at all? Well, I've participated in four of their golf tournaments at Woodlock Springs, and I, I donate to them. Uh, great organization. They, uh, John Pillar, part of Woodlock Springs, he's a PGA at, uh, at Woodlock. He, uh, him and Tom Ryan have basically uh, brought this to light in the area, the need for helping uh, soldiers that paid the ultimate sacrifice, helping their kids with a uh, college education, a scholarship. Vet suicide is near and dear to everybody's heart, and I believe the average is 22 a day now. What do you feel should be done to reduce vet suicide, or what do you think would help? Well, the the biggest thing with uh, like people like me uh, being grunts, it's a, basically it's a unwritten rule. It's like a sign of weakness if you reach out for help. And I, I think that's wrong. If you're having problems, pick up the phone and call a buddy. Talk to somebody. If you haven't talked to a buddy in a while, give them a call. Check on it. It's basically a, a battle check. Check your buddy out. Because yeah. a, lot, a, lot a lot of guys won't uh, won't express their feelings. They keep everything inside. Yeah, and, that's, uh, that's true. I find that to be true. And, and um, one of the issues is that a lot of vets join like the fire department or the police or something like that and if they have any ptsd or ptsi symptoms going into intense situations as a first responder could be a trigger and again they're reluctant to talk about it because they're afraid it will affect their career yeah that's that's correct a lot of guys on active duty if you do suffer from post-traumatic stress if you Tell somebody while you're on active duty orders, you're basically flagged. You cannot de- deploy, and you basically cannot do your job. So that that needs to change. You know, if, if people are having problems and they're still being able to do their job, that should not be a trigger, if you will, to hold them back. If, if they've got the fortitude to seek help, they shouldn't be uh, pe- penalized for that. Right, and a, and a lot of it, I think the more people that talk about it as much as possible um, gets the message to other folks with those considerations that they're, I'm not alone, and there's right. other folks going through the same thing I'm going through. And that, that goes back to talking to somebody. You, you talk to a buddy, you don't know if he's going through the same things. If you talk to him, he might open up to you. He may not, but as long as you get it off your chest, you might feel a little better. Well, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with what we mentioned before, um, to some degree or or more or less, uh, folks coming out of full-time service or coming off rough deployments have to or rebuild their identity sometimes, and that's that's a big uh, contributor, I think. You're 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 correct. And one one thing uh, I'd like to add to that is when you come off a deployment, especially the guys that are married. Spouses play a big factor, and I got to give kudos to uh, the spouses that endure soldiers that have deployed multiple times like me, because I don't think I could have continued if uh, my wife wasn't there to support me on the uh, home front. As the generations evolve, we continue to lose historical context. What is your message to young Americans? Um, my, my opinion is I think everybody should join the military, get that experience, get that lifelong bond and give yourself time to figure out what you want to do with your life. You're not like losing time doing two to four years in the military. It'll, it'll, you'll gain self-discipline and work ethic. I think this uh, younger generation, they're lazy and they, 
don't want to get their hands dirty, so to speak. Yeah, I agree with you, and I share your thoughts. I forgot to ask you one very important question, perhaps the most important question of this entire interview. Okay. How did you get the nickname Strapper? I don't think I could say that on the airways. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's people that know me as Strapper that don't know my name. It's pretty, pretty unique. Okay. Well, thanks so much for spending the time with us on Let's Talk Vets. Uh, Sergeant First Class James Strapper Strasser. You're listening to Let's Talk Vets on Radio Catskill WJFF. In these uncertain times, there's a lot we don't know, but here's something we do know. Whatever happens, we're going to tell you about it. WJFF Radio Catskill will be here for you as long as you're here for us. Support news, information, and entertainment your friends and neighbors rely on, especially in these uncertain times. Make your contribution now in any amount at WJFFradio.org. Vince Benedetto is a United States Air Force veteran and founder and CEO of Bold Gold Media. With 14 radio stations in the region, I chatted with Vince about his service, his media company, and his outlook on life. So greetings, Vince. Greetings. Thanks for joining us. And, pleasure. Uh, you are a veteran, graduate of the United States Air Force Academy, and founder and president CEO of Bold Gold Media. And your organization is currently comprised of 14 stations occupying 20 frequencies. And you serve Northeastern PA, the Poconos, the Catskills, regions of New York State with a broad range of programming genre, rock, talk, classic hits, news, sports, and country. Did I miss anything? Pretty much got most of it covered, yeah. That's all strategically connected both geologically and digitally via RadioBold.com. In military terms, that would be overlapping fields of fire. Mm-hmm. Well said. <laughs> Pretty ambitious. Yeah. Pretty yeah. ambitious Thank you. undertaking. So we're interested, when and why did you decide to join the service, more specifically to apply to the United States Air Force mm-hmm. Academy? Well, I had, a, uh, at a very young age, a, a unique interest in American history, particularly American founding history. And I was one of these kids at uh, about nine, ten years old that was reading the Federalist Papers and uh, reading about George Washington. And, you know, this started actually, my father um, one time made me watch, at about nine years old, a replay on television of John F. Kennedy's uh, inaugural address, his first inaugural and, and I watched it, and I remember being very captivated by the call to service of, of you know, those long-ago words at the time. And um, that got me very interested in, in history. I remember reading, like, PT-109, Profiles in Courage, written by John F. Kennedy. And that kind of led to my interest in military affairs generally. And, of course, there was a lot of family influences. My father had been in the Air Force. My grandfather on my mother's side was a pilot and uh, served in both World War II uh, the, Cre- the Korean conflict, and also actually Vietnam. So he, uh, there was a lot of those influences. I was a very patriotic young man, uh, and I really had this calling to join the service. And uh, I also wanted to go to college. I also wanted to do law enforcement. I had a lot of kind of uh, interests, and they all kind of culminated in wanting to go to one of the service academies. And ultimately what I did in the Air Force, with Air Force OSI, was, uh, was part of that as well. So you became very special agent Vince Benedetto. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, and uh, that was a that was an. You know, I went there hoping to do that career field, knowing yeah. it was a bit of a long shot to get it. Um, but it, it it seemed to fuse together a lot of the interests I had in service. You know, I loved the idea of law enforcement, investigative work, serving my country in the military, et cetera, and that kind of synthesized all of those into into one career field. Uh, Any. Uh, Similarities to the very popular TV series NCIS? <laughs> Mostly not. No. It has its, <laughs> it, it's all reversed, right? In the, in the TV show, the NCIS agents always spend a few minutes in the office, and the rest of the time they're you know, running around the catching field. the bad guys. It's really the other way around. <laughs> you, know, you, you spend 90% of your time doing research and investigative work and follow-up and follow-through and interviews and things like that, and then there's a few minutes of action. <laughs> So you fulfilled your obligation to the Air Force, which, as I figure, it was about nine years total, right? That's right, yeah. And uh, you transitioned back to civilian life. I did. Did you know at that point what you really wanted to do? 
Um, it, only in a big sense. Like I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to build and run my own enterprise and business. I just didn't have what it was figured out. I did not anticipate going into broadcast radio. I actually thought maybe music publishing, something I like to do is I'm very, grew up in a very musical household, do a lot of writing and producing of music, even up till now. I also thought maybe a security firm, you know, my background in Air Force OSI lend itself to that. So I got out and I started to do due diligence in those career fields and ultimately through a, a series of circumstances, you know, keyed in on, on broadcasting. As it turns out, probably a wise decision. I, I have no regrets. At least for now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How did your lessons learned in the military benefit you? And I ask you this on the heels of a, another conversation I had with some people. We were talking about military occupations that don't really translate to civilian life. Mm -hmm. You've had the opposite. Mm -hmm. But there are certain lessons that are taught to everybody in the military. So how did some of those lessons and other lessons in your specific AFSC or Air Force yeah. Specialty Code benefit you in starting up and now managing your own business? So there's two, there's two examples in the Air Force that I like to point to. From my OSI career, I tell people all the time, like doing counterintelligence work and broadcasting are very similar. And everybody kind of laughs when they hear that. But I tell them, I said, look, you know, when, when doing CI work, you used to get sent to, you know, areas you weren't that familiar with necessarily. And you had to learn the culture and immerse yourself in that environment and bring people together that had different views and agendas and ideas. And you had to really understand them to, to really understand the environment you were in and then identify the threats and the opportunities for the government in those areas. The best local broadcasters really understand and get involved in their communities and they understand what the community needs and wants and uh, how to tailor their programming uh, to to serve that community and so instinctively the the thought process that you have to be ensconce yourself into the area you're, you're you're supposed to know and therefore serve and provide a service for uh, the thinking behind that's very similar you know one of the things I really learned in the military and there was one example I remember when I showed up at basic training my flight commander, big, huge guy. First day I was there, he gets in my face and he's, uh, he's, he's yelling and screaming at me. And he asked me, he said, how many push-ups can you do? And I said, sir, I could do, I'm thinking, I'm trying to like calculate in my head. How many? Have, yeah, I could do quite a few. I said, sir, I can do 50. And he says, well, we're going to do 60. <laughs> and so we hit the deck and we're doing, he's doing them with me while he's screaming at me, of course. And, you know, I, I got to 60. I don't know if it was fear, adrenaline, but I barely eked out that 60th push-up. The next day, he sees me in the hallway, and he runs down the hall, and he's literally foot taller than me. And he gets in my face, and he screams at me. He says, how many push-ups can you do? And I said, oh, my God, sir, I can do 60, because we did 60 yesterday. And he goes, well, we're doing 70 now. And I'm thinking, okay. I somehow got to 70 push-ups. And so the next day, this replays itself. He runs down the hall, he gets in my face, and he says, how many push-ups can you do? Now, I know where this is going. Yeah. And I said, took a deep breath, and I said, sir, I can do 80 push-ups. And he says, yes, you can. We're going to do it. You know, the moral of the story, and this is a lesson I've learned in life, you know, when I started the week, I'm thinking I can do 50 push-ups. By the end of the week, I was doing 100. And, you know, I use that example because that's kind of what I learned, A, my entire time for the Air Force Academy. You, you, you can probably do double what you think you're capable of accomplishing. And so that kind of never quit, never give in, never stop mindset is, I think, critical in business. Because in business, you inevitably have good days and bad days and days you want to roll it up and days you feel like you could take on the world. And the trick is to know that no matter how bad things get, you have the ability to, to navigate through them and push through them. Kind of like a golf game. Every once in a while, you hit one good shot. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So what have been some of your major challenges developing a, a formidable local slash regional media organization given the competition of much larger regional organizations and, and, and national organizations like iHeartRadio, for example? You know, I think the, the, the real thing is to just define what you, you're good at and try not to be, you know, I, we don't worry a lot about what other people do. do. You know, what I try to t tell my folks is don't worry about them, worry about us. You know, we need to do what we're good at. We're not gonna be responsive to other people's 
uh, way of doing things. We're going to do things our way as best we can to service this community. But really what I, what I think I learned, uh, and this is part of the military experience, is at the end of the day, this is a people business. And where a lot of the big companies um, have cut and centralized, we've done the opposite. You know, we're very decentralized as a company. We have a very healthy staff across all of our three contiguous regions that we operate in, much larger than most small broadcast companies serving similar sized communities. And um, that's because we believe in the mindset you really can't know a community, serve a community, unless you're of the community. So the, I have a great team in, in the New York Catskills, a great team here in the Pocono Lake region, and a great team in the scranton Wilkesbury market. And they have, it's a decentralized operation where everybody else in the, in the 90s and the 2000s you know, kind of centralized and simulcasted. We went to the inverse clear channel iHeart model. Uh, where we decentralized operations and we put people in the field and local management on the ground in those markets and that served us incredibly well and having the right people. I mean, this is a relationship business. This is a people business. At the end of the day, people aren't loyal to transmitters and frequencies. They're, they're loyal to people and programming. Media nationally is at an all-time low in terms of public confidence. When you ask people what do they think about national media, it gets a very, very low approval rating. But you ask them the same question about their local news outlets and information outlets, in particular a local radio station, off the charts trust. When a local DJ, local news person says this has happened or this is what you need to know, very, very, very few people, if any, disagree or refute that because they trust those people, they know those people. These are people in the community with them. They know who they may have grown up with them. And so that type of bond is, is powerful and emotional. And so understanding that um, and investing in that side of things is I think you know, how we've dealt with the competition, so to speak. But it wasn't because of the competition, it's because of our, our own sense that that's the right way to do it regardless of what the competition is doing. Well, you're more relatable yeah. to your individual markets, right? Yeah. And I think you've done an excellent job of kind of tying it together to give it some continuity, if that's the right word, uh, provided by RadioBold.com. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so RadioBold is uh, principally in, in our mobile app. But what we did, um, because there's so much overlap you know, within our markets and then with our adjacent markets and so much diverse programming that we offer, and that, you know, the, the, the Northeast Pennsylvania and the upstate Catskill, Hudson Valley, New York markets have some fundamental connections to each other. Uh, we put everything in one spot. So the Radio Bold app has very easy access. It's your, your one or two pushes of a clicks of a button away from listening to the station of your choice and engaging that station. And uh, same thing now on these uh, in-home uh devices like like the Amazon Echo. You can now just invoke uh, a skill. You could say, Alexa, enable the Radio Bold skill. She'll install the skill. And then you could say, Alexa, open Radio Bold and play Thunder 102. And she will play it. And, and Or any of our other stations. And so that's, in radio and in media, you're trying to bring people together all the time. Like, bring, mm. bring it together. Use the word continuity. To me, it's just rallying everybody into these mm -hmm. platforms that they're comfortable with, they trust, they're, they're efficient, and it gives them mobility. You want to be everywhere your listener is nowadays. We talked a little bit about this before we got started. Um, how do you see the future of traditional radio broadcasting amidst our on-demand digital world? I believe in it strongly. I think it's going to be great. Um, and the reason I think that is, you know, we're in... Most listenership of audio consumption is overwhelmingly still on broadcast radio. It just dominates the car. Um, it's uniquely different than all these other platforms because radio, local radio, or you could use the term broadcast radio, really is, is about what happens in between the music. Right? It's, it's not about the songs you play. It's about what you do when the music stops. And that is, uh, you know, there's this term in, in radio that we use. We say, you know, when people want to tune out, they go to their music collection, which nowadays are these streaming services, right? They're basically just your music collection on a, that you rent. But when people want to tune in, they go to their local radio station. When they want to connect, when they want companionship, you know, the radio experience has to be different, right? We shouldn't try, you know, I said earlier, you know, try to be and do what you're good at. So we're not trying to be Spotify. Spotify is a, a jukebox, basically, you know, that curates songs based on maybe your personal taste, but there's no personality there. There's no 
there's no community there. You know, our job isn't to play you songs. You know, people think that about the radio, but that's really too simplistic. What is radio? Local radio is a bunch of things in one. Yes, we play music, so we're in the music biz, so to speak. But yes, we, 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 we're in the advertising and marketing business by playing commercials. But we're in the events business. We're in the promotions business. We're in the news business. We're in the digital business. And, and we are in the midst right now, 2020, of an audio boom. It's the golden age of audio. People are consuming audio left and right. It's easier to consume than it ever was, whether it's your local radio station being on an app like Radio Bold. You can access it anywhere. Um, we're communi you know, a typical radio station nowadays is reaching listeners and followers in ways you never could before. In an aggregate, you reach exponentially more people on a typical day because they're not, it's just you have the people that listen to you on air, online, follow you on your social sites, maybe go to your events or your promotions, you know, maybe you're seeing some of your digital uh, technology in front of them. So we have a slogan in Bold Gold, Bold Gold Media, on air, online, mobile, social, live and local. And we try to improve every day and every year in each of those areas. And they're all growth areas, they're all monetization points. I'm excited about it, entrepreneur. I think, I think people that don't evolve uh, you know, and aren't, aren't receptive to adjusting, you know, in real time to change are in trouble. But right now, there's no industries that are not being affected by digital technology and transformation. Name an industry, automotive, retail, right? Uh, education, healthcare, it's all being disrupted to some extent by the, the technology boom. The difference is, I think with media, is people are showing that when you give them more things to listen to, they do more listening. And now we have more ways to reach these folks. And, and so broadcast radio is still the, the big monster. There's no reason we can't use our innate skill sets and experience in that space to accommodate and service uh, listeners in, in, in new and different ways. And so, um, you know, I'm quite excited about the future. I mean, I got into radio, as I tell people, not because of what it was, but because of what it, I think it will be and can be. Is your company doing anything? Do you have any initiatives, or, or if so, what are they to serve the veteran and active service communities? Are you doing anything along those lines? Well, um, we, we, are, we are generally very responsive to veteran organizations. Like we were a big sponsor of VetStock recently. I was actually the speaker and MC at that event. I personally, as the CEO of the company, um, spend a lot of time each year getting out and speaking and talking uh, to groups about veterans or at veterans events such as VetStock. Um, in the last three years, for example, I've been the, the speaker for the Veterans Day program of several of our local uh, public schools. And, um, and so in addition to our airtime support that we donate and provide to veterans groups and our news coverage of things, issues important to veterans in the area. We also, uh, myself as well as some others in the company, are very involved directly because we have quite a few veterans in this company. Um, they are very active both, uh, I would say, publicly and then in many cases privately with veterans and veterans groups. Very unique organization, very ambitious over the last 15 years. And I see you've also recognized your responsibility to give back mm -hmm. through uh, BG Broadcast and Media Foundation. What mm -hmm. is that all about? Yeah, so the Bold Gold Broadcast and Media Foundation is um, a nonprofit entity or arm of Bold Gold Media Group, but it's where we've been working to try to get young people, uh, particularly young people that have an interest in the news and talk disciplines. You know, those are the most difficult areas of broadcasting to get training in. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of schools out there that have broadcast programs and you can learn to play music and be a good DJ and those are important things. But there's not a lot of programs and a lot, not a lot of opportunities out there that if you want to be a talk radio person or a news person, we've teamed up with uh, Hillsdale College, a small private school out in, uh, in Hillsdale, uh, Michigan, uh, and helped them start a broadcast program. Got them a radio station. Um, we help underwrite the cost annually of sustaining that station. And we've sent a young person, uh, we had a scholarship for a young person from uh, our area, our broadcast area here uh, to the school on scholarship there to the program. And so th the idea is this particular school requires students as a condition to be able to graduate as part of their core curriculum to study uh, the American founding, the constitutional order. And the reason that's important to us is because those are where 
uh, you know, broadcasting is the ultimate example of free speech, right? Think about it. You, you get to turn on a microphone and talk to thousands of people. That is remarkable with, without the government basically being able to tell you what you can and can't say, minus saying things that are unfit for the airwaves in terms of vulgarity. You pretty much are free to say what you want. Um, but that, with that comes a huge responsibility. And so the idea is to team up, was to team up with, a, with a school that uh, was very clear in teaching the roots of why we even have and need free speech. And of course that requires studying the American founding and the Constitution and understanding and appreciating that responsibility and that opportunity, by the way, and then teaming that up with a broadcast program. So they're learning the right things at school, they're armed up with the right scholarship, and now we're teaching them solid communication skills. So that radio program at that college is really teaching them the, the talk formats, dialect, dialogue, communication, interview, the stuff that's so important. And by the way, the stuff that increasingly the American people nationally are losing a lot of trust in. So we thought it was the right time to, to do something like that. So that's our contribution thus far to that effort. What about, you have a, a studio in D.C. as well. Is that, how does that fit in? Yes, yeah, so uh, Hillsdale College has a um, constitutional learning center in Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. And so we, we, as part of the broadcast program, we built them a satellite studio that could connect to the main campus in Washington, D.C. at their, at their uh, so right there in kind of the belly of the beast, you know, we have a studio. And some really great radio hosts use that studio frequency. Uh, Hugh Hewitt is known to have used it. And uh, Sean Hannity has used that studio when he's been in town and stuff like that. And uh, so it's been, it's been uh, interesting to watch. And so the students have gotten to, in this program, have gotten really good access to some very successful national radio personalities and uh, gotten to see how they execute their craft. And so uh, it's, it's, I've been very proud of its progress. Yeah, as you should be. What is your message to veterans who are transitioning from military to civilian life? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a great deal of difficulties with that transition. Yeah, well, the first would be to, to don't be shy about leveraging the veteran network. You know, there is a unique bond of brotherhood amongst veterans, and, and, and veterans were in every community. So um, find out who the, the, the business owners or managers and leaders are in the community that are veterans. And so if, you, if, you, if they know what they want to do, Find somebody who's a veteran close to where you want to do it and, you know, get, get in with them and men, have them mentor you. Ask them for help and advice and guidance. You know, build a, build a network of support in that sense. If you don't know what you want to do and you're in entering the private sector as a veteran, same idea. Talk to veterans that have made this transition and, you know, have them explain both what they did well and what they weren't so successful at and to try to avoid some of those mistakes. But there are resources out there. Um, and I never met, and I doubt you have either, a veteran that wasn't willing to help another veteran in That's some true. capacity. Yeah. You know, so um, I think that would be my advice. Is there's a, there's that unspoken network of uh, of brotherhood and sisterhood amongst fellow veterans. What's the best way for listeners to learn more about Bold Gold Media and your outreach with uh, Hillsdale College and that? Uh, Yes, Bold so Gold uh, BG Broadcast and Media Foundation. The best way to learn about Bold Gold Media Group and our commercial radio properties in Pennsylvania, New York, is to go to boldgoldmedia.com. Um, if you want to access these these stations, uh, both you know obviously on the FM and AM dial, but also uh, the Radio Bold app is free, uh, for in, and it's in the Apple and Google Play stores. Uh, for the Bold Gold Foundation, you go to boldgold.org. And uh, that gives information. Every year we have a big event um, somewhere in Northeast Pennsylvania, generally, and we bring in a great broadcaster um, to speak at the event. Generally, somebody who's an, a great example. We've had Hugh Hewitt, we've had Brian Kilmeade speak at the event, um, or a historical scholar that's going to teach some, something connected to free speech or the American founding. And uh, and we also offer complimentary tickets to that event for military, both active duty and uh, retired. So if there are veterans out there, we have complimentary tickets. Some of our sponsors actually buy tickets on behalf of Where veterans. is that generally held? Uh, at Mohegan Sun, Pocono, oh, okay. in Wilkes-Barre, yep. Yeah. And so it includes dinner and generally a copy of a book if there's an author or somebody or speaker that has one at the event. And also we have complimentary tickets for students, um, college and high school students that are interested in maybe a broadcast career to be able to attend the event. Well. I can't thank you enough on behalf of 
our listeners and thank you for taking time to prove that the American dream is indeed alive and well and that our vets can do anything they set their minds to. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Bench. Each month, Don Shaw, director of the VA Hudson Valley Healthcare System, stops by to give us the latest news. This is the VA Today, and here's Dawn. Hello. Uh, first, I want to tell you about uh, some of the new providers that have joined VA Hudson Valley. Um, we have a number of different specialists and other providers that I would like to tell you about today. We have in Castle Point Primary Care, Dr. Adam Whitehead and Dr. Alan Rios have joined the team. Then up at our Poughkeepsie Community Clinic, we have a new nurse practitioner, Kathy Letcher. We have a new pain management physician, Dr. Jason Melnick. In our home-based primary care division, Ms. Maria McKenna, a nurse practitioner, has joined the team. We also have a new speech-language pathologist, Ms. Maja Seitz. Also an ENT physician, Dr. Shelley Burson. In addition, our pulmonary team now has another pulmonary physician, Dr. William Marino. We have an, another part-time dentist, Dr. Roshan Desai. And we have a deputy chief of staff that has joined us from uh, the Augusta VA, and his name is Dr. Timothy Hall. In addition, we're doing something uh, very creative with our Bronx VA facility and the Chief of Ophthalmology from the Bronx VA is coming uh, and providing services to our veterans for ophthalmology services through Hudson Valley, and that's Dr. Paul Lee. So that is a new service that we're offering. So we're very excited about these new additions to our team, and we continue to look at ways that we can enhance and provide additional clinical services to our veterans in the Hudson Valley. I also want to let you know uh, that it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and early detection and knowing how to reduce your chances of getting breast cancer can help you and your loved ones live healthy lives. So please contact your VA health care team, your PAC team, to request a mammogram, or call us at 845-831-2000, extension 7666, to schedule a comprehensive health exam with one of our women's health primary care providers. Also, upcoming very soon is Veterans Day on November 11th, and we have an exciting event that we're planning that is for our veterans that are living on campus, and our Rolling Thunder team is going to do a drive-through event to salute our veterans for Veterans Day. So it is only for our veterans living on campus, but it's so exciting when we can partner with our community teams and do something special for our veterans. So wanted to let you know about that. Also, uh, we continue to work on some significant construction projects here at our main campuses, Montrose and Castle Point. And our new entrance at Montrose opened at the end of September and we are working on some other finishing touches to that area, and then we will be opening our new primary care clinics at Montrose in the adjacent space to the front entrance, and also some new specialty clinics upstairs in, that, in Building 3 at Montrose. And that's all expected to be finished up and opening uh, next month in November. Also at the Castle Point campus, our new front entrance adjacent to urgent care is finishing up as well and will be opening in November. So those are two really nice enhancements to the campus uh, for our outpatient veterans that will really help with the flow of our veterans into and out of the clinics here. We also wanted to let you know about numerous efforts that are being made to return to normalcy for our veterans without putting them at risk, given that we are currently still facing the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but we are trying to do everything we can to move services forward as much as possible. So at the Montrose campus, we recently opened our gym for our residential veterans that had been closed for several months. And at both campuses, we have been able to do socially distanced family visits for our long-term care CLC veterans, which is nice to be able to connect them 
with their loved ones in a safe way. Down at Montrose, Building 28, which is our substance abuse building for our domiciliary program, has uh, reopened. We had consolidated our programs. We were still running our substance abuse program, but we were consolidating that with another building. But now we have been able to increase the number of veterans utilizing these programs and now have expanded back to Building 28 here at Montrose. Our clinic capacities have increased. We are now at a 50% face-to-face capacity. And then we're also making sure our veterans get the care they need through both telehealth and telephone appointments, as well as the face-to-face appointments. So I want to encourage every veteran to give telehealth a try if you haven't already. It's a very safe and effective way to get the care that you need. VA Hudson Valley recently received survey scores from our Veteran Signals platform, and our telehealth team scores higher than the national average on every telehealth-related question. And we received a trust score from the veterans that are using telehealth of 97.9%, and that's truly a testament to the wonderful care that we're providing via telehealth. So please, we have a team of people here who are eager to help get you the care you need from the safety of your home, and we're very happy to provide that service and establish a telehealth with you if you have not had that opportunity yet. I also want to remind everybody that it is so important that you get your flu vaccine this season. Uh, We want to protect ourselves in every way possible, and Flu vaccines are a very important part of that every year, but particularly this year. So we do have our drive-up flu shot clinics at our Castle Point and Montrose locations. They are open Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 11.30 a.m. and 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. And veterans can also, through scheduled appointments, be seen at our VA clinics in the seven surrounding clinics if that is more convenient. And also we do have in-network community pharmacies and urgent cares that can uh, provide flu shots at no cost to our veterans. So we are trying to make the flu vaccine as readily available to everybody as possible, keep everyone safe. And finally, I just want to conclude and remind you of important phone numbers that are always here in case they are needed by for our veterans. First is our veteran crisis line. The number to our veteran crisis line is 1-800-273-8255, and you would press 1. Uh, but that's a very important number for everyone, particularly during this time. We want to make sure everyone has the support they need. And we also have our 24-hour VA nurse helpline that can assist with any medical concerns or questions. That also is a 24-7 line, and the number for that is 1-800-877-6976. That's 1-800-877-6976, our VA nurse helpline. Thank you so much for allowing me to provide this update. And thank you to our veterans for all that you do and have done for our country, especially remembering this Veterans Day. We are a free country because of your dedication to the country. So thank you. And our sincere thanks to Ann Milligan, General Caregiver Support Coordinator, Hudson Valley VA Healthcare System, Cullen Lyons, Public Relations, Hudson Valley VA Healthcare System, Sergeant First Class James Strasser, U.S. Army, retired, Vince Benedetto, founder and CEO of Bold Gold Media, and Don Shaw, director, VA Hudson Valley Healthcare System. And to you for joining us once again. Please let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and suggestions for future shows. If you have a story to tell, we'd love to hear it. Also, send us your upcoming events so we may get them on the air, both in our normal public service announcement segments and this program. Email me at vets at wjffradio.org or leave us a voicemail at 845-431-6500. Until our next formation, this is Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your service. Company dismissed.
This Week in This American Life. With gun sales up in these unsettling times, we asked all kinds of people, why'd you buy your first gun now? I actually went and looked at guns at 